first off, allow me to say to all of you who gave of your blood yesterday, who literally bled for others, thank you. Thanks for showing up. We had 23, 24 people somewhere right in there actually come out, give blood yesterday. Um, it's actually, I used to give blood regularly, and then I moved here, and I just never got back in the practice, so it's the first time I've given blood since I've lived here, so it's a good thing that John coordinated that. Thank you, John, for coordinating that, wherever you are oh, sneaking right through the middle there. Thank you for coordinating that. It went so well that uh, somebody already asked me, hey, or, um, I couldn't, they couldn't make it yesterday, and they asked if we were going to do this again, and I told them before the event, well, it'll depend on how it goes and if anyone actually shows up. And the, anybody who ever has to plan an event, you know that someone in your mind, you're going, oh, man, I hope somebody shows up for this thing. Well, we had a full bus, so to speak, much of the time. So thank you for showing up. Those of you who would like to be involved next time, we'll do it again after the first of the year. So plan on filling up with blood so that we can take some again. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and grab it. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. I noticed several of our blood donors yesterday didn't make it today. They're probably feeling anemic and exhausted. I told you last week I was starting a new series that I call Underwhelmed. Um, the premise is this. Most of our lives we spend overwhelmed, and when we feel overwhelmed, we start to struggle with anxiety, depression. When we allow stress to come on, we, it literally affects our physical health. Um, for, for men, ages 50 to 65, some of you fit in that category. Me, not quite yet, but I'm almost there. But heart issues are the number one health problem that they have. And stress is the leading cause. You may think it's diet. Diet can hurt. You may think it's genetic. Genetic plays a part. But stress, they say, is the number one cause of those serious heart issues. We feel stressed because we don't know how to let God really have that. That's really what this series is about, is learning to let Jesus do what he said he wants to do. Sometimes people accuse me that I don't talk enough about Jesus. And that's okay. Everybody has their opinion. Um, opinions are like noses. Everybody has one, and just go ahead and pick yours. Um, but the reality is, this is really what Jesus has told us to do. These are literally his words, is, don't be stressed. Learn to trust me. Learn to trust the Father, because the Father's the one that sent me. So that's what we're going to talk about this month, is about learning to trust God. But I want to give you a little background before we get there. So this week and next week are going to be more the, what is he actually telling us, than... The third week and fourth week are how do we make this real in our life. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and, again, Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 25, it says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to the babes. Even so, Father, for it so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Twice Jesus mentions finding rest. He wants you to learn to find that in him. You don't even have to raise your hands, but just think for a moment. How many of you in the past month have felt tired? How many of you in the past month have felt overwhelmed by a situation? Maybe it's your own doing, maybe it's outside things. How many of you in the past month have struggled with anxiety or depression? Did you know all these things, and by the way, those are all real feelings, and I want you to know right now, I validate those because they're real. All of those things come into our life not because we've done something wrong, but because we live in a world that's full of hurt and pain and brokenness. And life is hard. I can't tell you how many times I would look at my daughter when she would tell me something wasn't fair, and I'd go, yes, and life is very hard. Get used to things not being fair. Get used to things not being right. Because the quicker you acknowledge that and realize it, the better you're going to be able to move forward with your life. So why is Jesus telling us this? Okay, first off, you've got to understand, there's all these people that are critical of Jesus' ministry. It's the area I can most relate. By the way, and I do not say this because you guys are critical. Just as a general rule in life, people are critical of pastors and how they do things. Not because they don't like them. In fact, most of the time, it's you like me so much, you just want to help me be better. And I get that. I know it comes from this place where you genuinely love me, you genuinely love this church, you genuinely love the church at large, and you want things to be better. I understand that. I approach, every time I have those conversations, I always approach it with, they just want things to be better. It's not personal. But the religious leaders are coming at Jesus, and they don't like the way he's doing things. At this point, they're not even necessarily, they're feeling threatened because people are following them, but they're not angry yet. The anger comes later. But the religious leaders are critical of the way he does things. They care about power, influence, and platform, and they use it against all who disagree with them. Those in power want to stay in power. That's nothing new. That's not the politics of today. That's throughout history. The first person that ever had power didn't want to give it up. Just so you know, that's not like, oh, today it's so It's not. If you really think we're that bad, go and look throughout what was going on in the Roman government and how many of them died by assassination. Do you know that most of their leaders, in, in case you didn't know, and when I say most, it's a heavy majority. Over 80% of their leaders didn't die of natural causes. They die because they're killed by somebody else who wants their power. At least we haven't quite gotten to the 80% of killing the people in power yet. It's no different today. And that's the thing is we wring our hands and go, what's wrong with the world today? The same thing that's been wrong with the world since the beginning of time, and that is that sin enters it, and sin corrupts, and we want something. So the biggest reason they care, they don't care that people are following Jesus. What they care about is that Jesus isn't saying, now let's all go back to the temple and do what they say. Because if that's what he were doing, they'd be like, yes, listen to this guy who's telling you to listen to us. So Jesus, he warns that those who have forgotten the least of these, the religious, all they care about is those that can advance them. 
And the, a day of judgment is coming when you're going to be sorry. That's what it's all of the passage before we even get into the text. That's what it's talking about. That there's going to be this day of judgment, that the least are going to be the greatest, and it's not who you think is really matters that matters. He's not trying to put down people. What he's trying to say is the system is broken. So, here's some specific things that the text does. Number one, it begins with prayer. Whether you realize it or not, it says, I thank you, Father, and then the rest of that is a prayer. Did you realize it was a prayer? What he's doing is he's saying, he's praying, and he's teaching the people theology, but he's calling out to God and saying, we need this. We need this. We're exhausted. We're emotionally drained. We're physically drained. In our nation, whether you realize it or not, it's not just that we're more tired. Automation has done this. It has forced us to work harder than at any other point in history. And that's not a woe is me, because we don't do the physical labor we once did. But the average worker today, versus 1950, is putting in 40% more hours than they did in 1950, the average worker. At work. Not in your week. Still got the same numbers in your week. You just gave up a bunch of them. So we do 40% more work today than we did 60 years ago. So my grandfather, who was a farmer and a logger and was a physical laborer, technically, I may not be doing what he's doing, but I'm putting in 40% more. So we're doing more work than we've ever done. Why? So that we can not get ahead, just so that we can keep up. So he begins with this prayer, and he says, the people are exhausted. Father, God, Lord of heaven and earth, you have hidden these things from the wise and you have revealed them to babes. Second thing we see from the text is you can only know Jesus in light of God and you can only reconcile to God through Jesus. Many people will tell me, yes, but don't you believe there's a lot of validity in other religions? And I'll say, validity, yes. But it doesn't mean it's the truth. I'm not talking about your truth. I'm not talking about my truth. I'm talking about the truth. Jesus tells us quite specifically, not I am a truth, but he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I'm not here to put down somebody else's beliefs, just as I don't put down other denominational leanings. I've told you, I do not believe I have the vessel of knowledge, and I'm here to spit out truth bombs to you, and you have to follow me. I am not a guru. What I am is a person who looks at the scripture and sees that Jesus is saying, hey, there's one way to know the Father, and that is through me. And it's when we try to come up with other ways that we're left lacking, because the other ways do not lead us to the Father, and yet we can't know Jesus without the Holy Spirit, which is what we talked about the last couple of weeks. He invites people who are overwhelmed to come to him. That's the third thing. He looks, and he invites you, and he says, come to me all who are heavy laden, all who are burdened. He promises rest. I'm a napper. Some people aren't nappers. I stay up late, but I love a good nap. If I had my way every day, I'd get up at like five in the morning, do about five hours worth of stuff, and then take a nap from 10 to 1130. Get up, have lunch, and then work. Perfect schedule. Because I'm looking for rest. I'm looking for that break in the middle of the day to recharge. Both Winston Churchill and Ronald Reagan were both nappers, so I feel like I'm in good company. (laughs) I'm not claiming to be as good as either of them. I'm just saying they both napped every day. 
he talks about my yoke is easy, my burden is light. What he's saying there is a yoke is what you put on two oxen to keep them moving together. And a single ox can plow four acres in a day. Two ox together can do about 40 acres in a day. They're doing 10 times the work when they do it together. Because of both the motivation and because it's less strain on each of them. So that's why when you see oxen, and we don't see them a lot anymore, but they're yoked together. They're put together. Same thing is true of a team of horses. A team of horses is exponentially stronger when you put them together than when it's a single. It's not like, oh, it's one horse can pull a wagon, so two horses can actually pull about eight to ten times the weight of a single horse, depending on what breed they are and whether or not you're going for distance or for weight. When we give this and we share this load with Jesus, he doesn't say you're never going to have any of the difficulty. He doesn't say, I'll take the entire load from you. What he says is, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He's there to do the heavy lifting with you. Easy actually means this. If you want to look, it's uh, charestus, which is not, doesn't mean it takes anything, but it actually says it's pleasant. When we're doing this with Jesus, doesn't mean it, the problem goes away. It means we have perspective. It's pleasant, it's good, and it's useful. Easy means when you work with Jesus, these things that weigh us down, these things that hold us back, we begin to see that they can be something beneficial in our lives. Here's some things that I've heard the people say that this text says. It does not say you'll never have worries or concerns. If you um, have ever worried about something in your life, would you be honest and just raise your hand for a second so I can see I'm not alone? All right. So all except for like three people. It doesn't say you'll never have worries or concerns. Trusting God doesn't eliminate those worries and concerns. What it does is two things. It helps us put them in perspective, and it helps us remember that God has a plan for all of this. God doesn't make bad things happen, but God allows the bad things that happen to become a useful tool in our life. He didn't cause the bad thing that happened to you or to your family or to your loved one. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who can't go to church because their mother or their grandmother or even their great-grandfather once died. Like, so you thought they were immortal? I mean, I don't get it. But I'm angry with God. Well, I get angry with God over stupid things. At least yours is about death. Mine's about stupid stuff usually. But here's a little lesson I've learned. One, God's big enough to take it. And two, it never says, don't be angry at God. But if I'm really open and really honest, what I'm angry about is that it's, the world seems unjust and unfair. And at no point does he say, hey, the world's always going to be smiling on you. And that's my struggle with, with the way some pastors teach or they preach is that they're going to tell you, if you just do these things, you're going to find seven steps to happiness. There are no seven steps to happiness, you guys. There's not. What there is, is can we have a better perspective on life? Absolutely. Can we learn to allow God more control on our life? Yes. 
But it doesn't take away the fact that we live in a broken world and you don't get to control people. I've told you before, if I could control people, the world would be a lot different. I'm not saying better. I'm just saying different. (laughs) My world might be better, but it wouldn't be better for everybody necessarily. Another thing the text doesn't tell us is this. It doesn't say that it's a sin if you carry this. He doesn't go, if you're carrying this, you're carrying sin. No, not at all. If you're carrying this, it's just a lot to carry. I used to have, uh, my mom taught special needs kids. You may remember that. And there used to be one that um, she taught. Her name was Vicky, And um, Vicky would always carry in her purse, she'd always carry, it'd be full of rocks and straws. Like you couldn't get her enough rocks, couldn't get her enough straws. If you wanted to like walk into a place, she'd be picking up rocks the whole way in and you'd almost have to drag her into a place. And then if they had straws on the counter, she'd just keep putting straws in her purse. Rocks and straws. And she'd carry this. And you'd go to pick up the bag, her handbag, and it would weigh 15 or 20 pounds. And she'd carry this thing around all day. And my mom, sometimes you would have to physically help her kind of move her towards a seat or get her to sit down. My mom said the problem with her carrying around rocks all day is it's really made her really strong. That was the difficulty. Wasn't an issue unless you were in a hurry, but it made her really strong. You know what? The same is true of us. We carry this garbage, and we just keep getting stronger and stronger and stronger, but our strength isn't being used for what we are created to be used for. He's looking and he's saying, you don't have to. It's not a sin. It's not a sin for Vicky to pick up rocks. It wasn't a sin for her to gather and collect straws. It just became an inconvenience. But it was her that was carrying around this bag. God doesn't say, you're bad if you hold on to your burdens. But it's you that's carrying around a bag of rocks all day. It's you that's got to worry constantly about how you're going to get from this point to that point. It's you that has to learn to deal with this because it's heavy and it's hard. And he's not angry. He's trying to say, let me make your life easier. Every couple weeks, Vicky's mom would take all her rocks and throw them away. She'd take all the straws and get rid of them and the collection would begin again. Because it gave her whatever sense it was in her life that she needed. And we do the same thing. We get to the thing. We hold on to this. Everything goes fine. That we were so worried about this thing. And then we grab something else and start worrying about it. I'm so worried about my kids and them getting through high school. Well, that's almost done. I just got a report from my son's school. He did it, basically. Don't quit now and you're done. Just keep showing up for class and you're going to graduate. And now I got to worry, well, now where is he going to go to college? What's he going to do after that? And how are we going to pay for college? And Why? Again, I'm not saying be foolish. I'm not saying don't be proactive. What I'm saying is I carried around all these rocks of worry, and now somebody's saying, okay, you can put that bag down, and the first thing I do is start picking up rocks and putting them back in a new bag. God's not angry that I'm doing that. He's just looking and saying, you don't have to do that. Jesus is saying, there's always going to be rocks. They're always going to be out there. But you don't have to choose to carry all of them. So what is the lesson to be learned? First off, the reason we hold on to concerns of this world is so that we can feel in control. And I'm here to tell you today, it's a false sense of control. You can't control everything. We have no ability to control the future. We can plan for the future. We can make wise choices. Every month, I put a little bit into an account so that I can retire someday. 
and live in the lap of luxury to which I have become accustomed. I know this full well. Most people who are in this job, the majority of people who have my job actually will die still doing it. The majority will, about 58% will never retire. They'll die before they retire as pastor. And I'm here to tell you, I don't think that's right or healthy. I'm here to tell you that since I was 18, I began planning for my retirement and I look forward to that day with great anticipation. I'm going to wear a stupid looking hat, walk around and yell at people that are walking on my lawn and uh, I don't know what else I'll do. I'll find some other hobbies. My wife said, what if there's nobody walking on your lawn since you want to move to the middle of nowhere? I said, then I'll yell at the squirrels. (laughs) I've already got it planned out. But the truth is, it's a false sense of control. It could all be gone tomorrow, and I know that. And I need to hand it over to Jesus. I don't need to be, I don't need to be foolish, but f- not for one moment do I need to believe that I'm in control. Because the moment I start thinking I'm in control, then why do I really need God? I got this. Number two, we won't rely on God because he might not show up. It's a savior complex. Again, I'm going to call out pastors. I can't tell you how many pastors I know who believe that they are the savior of their church. I know this because I walked through that same thing. Some of you know I had a, a crisis of depression and I fell apart about, it's been eight years ago, it was in 2010. Some people would call it a, a, like a mental or an emotional breakdown. Some people would call it a midlife crisis. What happened was I went through a series of tough events. My wife and I lost a baby um, in less than a week. I got in a car accident, put four students of mine in the hospital. My daughter ended up breaking her humerus. Four days after that, my son breaks his elbow. I went home from the hospital after my son's surgery, got home at like 9 or 10 at night. My wife, they would only let one of us stay at the hospital. She stayed at the hospital, and I went home and read the book of Job and said, God, where are you? If you're supposed to be real, in the last six months, my life has fallen apart. Where are you? And I didn't hear God speak to me that night. And so I didn't consciously, but I subconsciously got up the next morning and decided Jesus isn't going to show up, so I have to be Jesus. And people said, so did you not love God? Or did you not? No, I still loved God. I could still preach on the beauty of God's love. I just didn't believe he was going to be there, at least not for me. So when I prayed for somebody to be healed, when I prayed for somebody, I didn't believe there was going to be anything. And so when you walk through, if I really believe in God, but I don't believe he's going to show up for me, then I have to be everybody's savior. It's important for us to be Jesus in everyday life, but that's because we're reflecting who he is, not because we're replacing who he is. It's a subtle difference, and I move from reflecting to replacing. And then when everything fell apart and I had this crisis, it's because I couldn't be Jesus anymore. I couldn't do it anymore. And when I couldn't do it anymore, I felt, what is my worth? What is my value? Why do I exist? When we believe that we have to take it on and take on the pain of this world and take on the pain that everybody else is feeling, when we believe that, then we're not going to trust Jesus to be there. 
And when we come to that crisis that you can't be Jesus because you can't, you can't do it all. You can't be everything for everyone. And when you come to that, then you've lost yourself. And you will break down. You cannot be everything your kids need you to be. You cannot be everything your spouse needs you to be. You cannot be everything your boss wants you to be. You cannot be everything every coworker wants you to be. You cannot be everything to everyone. Can we always love people? Absolutely. Do we need to give more of ourselves? We're in a very self-centric culture. Yes, we do. But we don't do it so that we can be Jesus. We do it so we can reflect what he's done in us. And when we try to say, I'm going to do this because nobody else will, that's a dangerous place. Do I want more people to help in children's ministry? Yes, and here's why. Because I want our kids to know, whether they realize it or not, that they matter. That's why I want more. To be honest, we're at a size where we can just hire someone to oversee the nursery. There's companies out there that do that for churches, whether you know it or not. That's there's full companies that do it. They come in every week. They run your... I don't want us to be that church. I want us to be the church who goes in and loves our kids because they're our kids. You cannot be Jesus. And the moment you try to be, you're going to be left lacking and you're going to know on the inside you're going to feel like a fraud and a phony and a failure. If we really trust God... We can pray boldly, petition, and ask God for all things, but rest in confidently in whether he shows up in the way we want him to or not, that he's still weird. He's still with us. He's still present. He's still working in and through the world. And sometimes because God didn't do things the way we want or because other Christians let us down or because the church let us down, we say, it's all just a sham. But again, It's about us and our perspective instead of the reality of who God is. Lack of trust is the key ingredient to worry. When we trust God, worry becomes less of a part of who we are. There's a big difference between using wisdom and having control. We're called to help our kids, our spouse, our family, even our jobs to navigate through life. We're called to do it. I'm called to teach and train to show and equip, but not to sit there and fret and stew. Our responsibility to become positive global citizens is really this. We need to take the kingdom of God to the world and the world is lost and dying. That's what we need to do. That's why I say, yes, we should be involved in community things. Last week, I went to the police auction. We raised $32,000 in one night for our new police dog. I believe in it. I believe it's going to help the city. Now, to be honest, other than petting that dog occasionally, I don't think I'll ever probably deal with that dog. Come here, Poochie. All right, good boy. And that'll be my interaction with it. But I believe it's positive for our city. So, why did I do it? Because I want our, my community to know, wow, that guy really cares. He shows up, he does things, he engages in it. But then, once they learn who I am, my goal isn't to just show I care, but my goal is to show them who Jesus is. And that's why I care. See, it's, it's that subtle difference. It's not just enough to show up. I've got to show up for a purpose and a reason. 
we're called to allow Jesus to share the burden. Um, this is the difference between wisdom and control. Wisdom says, I'm going to let Jesus lead me. Control says, I'm going to let Jesus lead me where I want to go. As long as it's where I want to go, then I'm going to follow. But as soon as he starts deviating, but I don't like that path. I want to do this, God. I can't tell you how many people I've met over the years who think that being up on this platform is something they want to do. And I just want to go, you don't want that. Because this is one hour of my 50-hour week. Most of my week is paperwork. Lots and lots of paper. My week, I want it to be more about relationship. Being together with other believers that want a relationship, that have questions, that want to get to know each other, that want to have fellowship and communion. And I don't mean just this communion, but deep, meaningful times together. That's not what most of my week is. People think they want this because they see something up here. Our problem is we live in a Jesus is my co-pilot society. And when you think about it, it's a pretty arrogant saying. In reality, he ought to be the pilot on this journey. But we like to say, Jesus is my co-pilot. And it makes us feel, if you have that bumper sticker, I'm not criticizing you. I'm just saying, it's the world we live in. But in reality, Jesus ought to be the pilot. And the best we can hope for is that we get to be a passenger in that plane problem is we want to pick the destination and he's looking and saying I've got a better destination in mind for you so here's a few conclusions that I've drawn from this it comes down to control and who's going to be in control since I told you most of the time I have more questions than answers that's my first question who's going to be in control because if I really let Jesus take this and I don't worry about it anymore and I set it down and he takes it and moves forward Who's in control? Second thing is, then am I willing to learn to trust God? Because yes, it is a learned response. Trusting God is not an innate thing. Because it may mean I have to do things I don't want to do. I'm not of the belief that if you tell God you're not going to do something, that's exactly what he's going to make you do. He's not mean. Despite what you've heard, God's not mean. But the truth is, it may not go the way I want. I have options to learn to trust and hold on to the cares of this world. Or I can learn to let it go. But the choice is up to me. Again, it's not a condemnation if you don't do it. It's freeing if you learn to. And I want you to be free. I want you to be free from the burdens of your past. I want you to be free from the things that you've been told. I want you to be free from the things you've been taught that were wrong. And I want you to walk confidently knowing that God's got a plan and a purpose. Now, it may not be what you want. You may have wanted to do ABC in life and you're stuck doing something you don't love. Sometimes we just got to pay the bills. I've had many jobs I didn't like. I've had a lot that I love, too. Loved working at the skating rink. Didn't mind working at the car wash. Hated getting up at 5 a.m. to be there by 5.30. Hated that part, but I didn't mind working at the car wash. 
Didn't mind striping parking lots. Hated the fact that you couldn't do it till business is closed. So you start at like nine or 10 at night and work till three in the morning. And I had a day job as well. Didn't like that part, but the actual job wasn't bad. There's been jobs I didn't like. But all along the way, I felt like God was guiding me and taking me and teaching me, equipping me and making me more of who he needed me to be in order to be in the role that he has me in now. Next week, we're going to talk about what it really means, what really matters in a deeper look at the why out of Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 34, so kind of the second half of that book, if you're interested in reading ahead. But the question I want you to walk out of with today is this. What worries do I have in my life that God is desperately desperately calling me to hand over and why why can't I let those go those are questions only you can answer but when you come up with the answers to those questions you're going to start to see a clearer picture of what God has for you because sometimes we're gripping things so tightly and he's like you don't need to do that you don't need to just let it go and watch just the stress and the release going. The world and society is already demanding that you work harder and more than ever before. Let's not carry all the weights of this world as well onto an already overtaxed and overburdened life. Today's Communion Sunday, and I want to share that with you. Um, I want to read something real quick. This is actually a passage that I read just last week, and it says, it's out of Acts chapter 2, and it says, And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his words were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They did this because Jesus did it on the last night and it became part of who they are. They did this to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. They didn't do this to equal their salvation. They didn't do this because they're better than other Christians. I recently had a conversation with somebody who was shocked that we didn't do communion every week. And I just said, I don't know that there's a pattern that says it. And he, he quoted scriptures to me, and I said, and then I just said, and as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. I know churches that do it once a year. I know churches, there are traditions that do it four times a year on certain holy days. So I'm not saying there's a magical formula. Don't get caught up in that. Focus on this. The purpose and the meaning behind it is that Jesus willingly laid down his life so that you, a dirty, lousy sinner, could have a relationship with him. And the most beautiful thing of all is he did it for me, who's the greatest sinner that I know. I'm the greatest of all sinners and the least of all saints, and yet he looks and he goes, I'm going to lay down my life for you. I want to invite you to come forward in just a moment. We'll have uh, two, we'll start with two lines, we'll add a third um, Jennifer is going to uh, come and serve you at your seat if you're not able to. Come on up now so that they know who you are. If you're unable to get up
whether it's just physically you can't or emotionally you're just not there today, but you'd still want to take communion, just raise your hand. Jennifer's going to come to you. I'm here to tell you this today. We have an open table. Anybody and everybody is welcome to come and partake as long as the reason you want to partake is because you want to remember that there's something greater than you that you need a sacrifice made for you. If you're not there yet, that's okay. This doesn't equal our salvation anyway. But I would love to talk with you more about that if you want to know, what does that look like? What does that look like for me? You don't know what I've done, Jeff. I've done this and this and this, and I'm not worthy. I'm here to tell you today, none of us are worthy. All of us are accepted. And so in just a minute, they're going to send you down and just break off a piece and dip it in. Take it and just go back to your seat. And at the end, if you want prayer about anything in your life, there'll be people up here on both sides to pray for you kind of after we dismiss. And I want to encourage you, don't run off. If you need prayer, stick around and get prayer, big or little. Maybe it's letting go of some worry in your life, or maybe it's you're on the brink of not even sure if your relationship's going to stay together. Let God come and be the one who eases that burden. All right? Let's go ahead and partake. Again, if you need Jennifer to come to you, just raise your hand so she can. Come on up, Brian. Brian, come on. Let me serve somebody. The body of Christ, we just broke up to you. Christ's blood, which we shed for the forgiveness of his sins. The body of Christ, his blood, which we shed for the forgiveness of your sins. In the darkness, I called your name. Into darkness, your mercy came. You called me out and lifted me up. How great is your love! You bore my weakness, you took my shame, bearing my burden. Of grace, and you called me out, lifted me up. How great is your love! From the heights of heaven, you stepped down to earth in a
gathered together. It's what they did. They came together to do this. Not because of ritual, but because they recognized that they needed something. That's my hope that today, in this, you'll say, you know what? I can't do this on my own. It's so tempting to try. It's so tempting to say, I don't need the church because, you know, we don't have to go to a a building to pray. No, you don't. But you can't know God outside of community. Over and over and over in Scripture, I can show you, from the very beginning, the very first verse, it talks about we, that God created this. But it says the word we. In other words, he created this for us. Because he wanted us involved in this world together. I want to encourage you not to, again, I've said all the time, it's not to try to manipulate somebody into being here every week. I don't, I don't know most weeks who's here and who isn't. But it's because I care about you as an individual that I want to see you fulfilled in all God has for you. We need you, but I like to believe you need us as well. This is about gathering around a table together. I just don't have a table that seats 125 people yet. As you remember this today, remember how desperately we need to be in community so that we can know God. We want to know God because we don't want to have to carry the pain and pressure of this world on us alone. God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your love and your grace for us. May we seek and strive to know you more. May we understand who you are at a deeper level. And may we be willing to ask ourselves the tough questions as to why do I hold on to these things that weigh me down? Why do I hold on to this worry? And how can I learn to trust you so I can let it go? In your name, amen. Thanks, I'll see you next week.